Yeah, it's warm in here, isn't it? Yeah. I always wanted to say this. If you think it's hot in here, try hell. It's really hot there. So, Not that I want you to go there. I'm just letting you know it's really hot there. Um, it's good times. We may be rolling up our sleeves because those things are programmable, and we're just in for the long haul now. So, yeah, enjoy it. It was nice and cool just behind the stage. So if y'all want to cram back there, we can just do church right behind the stage, but it'd be crowded, and then it'd get hot back there too, so you're probably better off we are. The good news is you can just separate. You can, you can give out one person. You, you split out a little bit. You get some drafts going between everybody, and that'd be okay. But um, today is our last day in a series on Beyond the Walls. And we're asking a very important question today. And the question we're asking you is, is it worth it? Should I go? And I could end the whole sermon right here and just say yes. But I don't want to do that. You'll come to understand today that as we answer this question, we're going to also look at a few other things like, what does it cost to go? And that's not just financially speaking. And what is required of me when I do go? Today I have with me Mick O'Hanahan with uh, Ninos to Mexico. And Mick is going to be sharing a part of the sermon illustration mashup that I call it. If you haven't been here this month, I have uh, introduced and, and brought in different missionaries each week. I give them very little information about the sermon. I give them some scriptures sometimes and say this is kind of the direction. We talk for a little bit on the phone and then we just start. I start preaching and as they interject... The Holy Spirit moves, some really neat things have happened. So Mick is part of the mashup, and in true mashup form, we only talked briefly uh, last week, and I sent him the scriptures, but I was having some issues with my outgoing mailbox, and they never got to him, so he is really on edge, um, but it's okay, he, he still came. With that being said, will you pray with us as we get started? Father God, I thank you that we have an opportunity to be here today, that we can we can laugh with one another, that we can enjoy uh, the warmth of, of the building, that we can open up your word and, and find strength in the warmth of your word. I pray, Lord, that as we, as we share today on is it worth going out into the world and should we go, that you'll, you'll just open our hearts. We'll respond accordingly uh, to your words. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Dave Simmons writes in his book, Uh, It's titled, Dad, the Family Coach. He writes this story about his son and daughter. He says, Two weeks after the stolen steak deal, I took Helen, who was eight years old, and Brandon, who was five, to the Cloverleaf Mall in Hattiesburg to do a little shopping. As we drove up, we spotted a Peterbilt 18-wheeler parked with a big sign on it that said, Petting Zoo. The kids jumped up and down in a big rush. Daddy, Daddy, can we go? Can we go? Please, please, can we? Sure, I said, giving them both a quarter before walking into Sears. They bolted away, and I felt free to take my time looking for the scroll saw that was on my list. You see, a petting zoo consists consists of a portable fence erected in the mall parking lot with about six inches of sawdust and hundreds of little furry baby animals of all kinds. It's a great way for a parent. You, you pay your money and the kids stay in the enclosure and they're just enraptured with squirmy little critters while their moms and dads get to shop. It's, it's almost the cheapest form of babysitting. A few minutes later, he said, I turned around and saw Helen walking along behind me and I was shocked to see that she preferred the hardware department to the petting zoo. Recognizing my error, I bent down and asked her what was wrong, and she looked up at me with those giant, limpid brown eyes and said sadly, Well, Daddy, it cost 50 cents. So I gave Brandon my quarter. And then she said the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. She repeated the family motto, 
Our family motto is, love is action. She had given her brother her quarter, and no one loves cuddly, furry creatures more than Helen. She watched when my wife Sandy took my steak the other night and said, love is action. (laughs) She had watched both of us do and say, love is action, for years around the house. She had heard and seen love is action, and now she had incorporated it into her little lifestyle. It had become a part of her. What do you think I did, he writes. Not what you might think. I finished my errands, and I took Helen to the petting zoo, and we stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy, petting and feeding the animals. Helen stood with her her hands and her chin resting on her hands, resting on the rail, watching her brother have fun with all these animals. He writes, I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket, but I never offered it to Helen, and she never asked for it because she knew the whole family motto. It wasn't just love is action. It was love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. You see, love always costs something. Love is expensive because when you love, benefits accrue to someone else's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives. It doesn't grab. And when Helen gave her quarter to Brandon, and she wanted to follow through with that lesson, she knew she had to taste the sacrifice part. She wanted to experience the total family motto, Love is sacrificial action. And it's that concept of sacrificial action that brings us to our final Sunday as we focus on missions and stewardship. Specifically, is it worth it? Should I go? And we're going to start our mashup right away this morning. Mick is going to share some thoughts about how Ninos de Mexico has experienced that very motto of love is sacrificial action. Mick. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys, by the way. Um, as the development director for Ninos de Mexico, that kind of means just that I'm the PR guy. I get to travel around to our supporting churches and, and raise funds. I'm the fundraiser. I'm the guy that has to go out and get the dollars. So I have, believe it or not, lots of stories, lots of examples of this very thing. I've had people come up to me after a service and hand me 10 $100 bills. I've had little old ladies come up to me and give me $2, and I know that those are equal gifts. Um, the, the, the examples that I get to see of people giving to this ministry, they'll, I, I don't want to say break my heart, but it, it very always impresses me. Let me just put it that way. Later this morning, we'll be talking a little bit about completing the answer, to, to answering the question, should we go? Is it worth it? Um, I always love it when our young people get to go down on a short-term trip just so that they can, if nothing else, so that they can see how blessed they are. Because in answering this question, sacrificial giving, we are blessed, folks. We are Americans. We got it made. And if, if nothing else, I want the young people to go and see a piece of the rest of the world. You guys have been to Haiti quite a bit. So you've seen drastic poverty. I want at least if nothing else, for the young people to learn that God's blessing them for a reason. We are blessed for a reason. He wants us to use our resources. We need to figure out how much is enough and then work on giving what he's blessed us with to build his kingdom and to do the work that he wants us to do. Um, But to answer this question, the thing I thought of first when, when John told me about this was the Carmichael family. 
This is a family that just moved down to Mexico City with their three kids the 10th of November. Now, they've lived there before. They lived there with me several years ago. Um, they did various work with our, with our short-term trips and work in the school, but now they've been called to go back down as one of our house parents. And I moved there with my family in 2001, and so I remember what it was like as I've watched them through, through social media mostly, through Facebook and the different things they've posted, as they've gone through this experience again of, of raising their funds and saying goodbye to their families and going down to live with the kids in Niños de Mexico because God called them to that and they were obedient. That's what I thought of when I thought of sacrificial giving. Thank you, Mick. The uh, scripture tells us to whom much is given, much is required. And like he said, we're, we live in America. We're, we're well off. Um, and, uh, and it's not just about that sacrificial action of what will you give or how will you go. When God calls you somewhere, there's another action that's required of us. And that action is we have to determine as an individual, is it even worth going? Is it worth packing a bag? And, and should we even go? <clears throat> Paul writes in his letter to the Romans concerning the relationship between the Jews and Gentiles, specifically the Christian Jews and some of the issues they were having. They weren't being nice to one another. Uh, there were some racial and social tensions in the church. And Paul writes this in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Brothers and sisters, like it or not, we're still battling racial and cultural differences in our world today. We're battling them in our church today. These verses are for the church because not only should we go, but we need to love one another first. See, if we don't love one another within these walls, if we don't show grace to one another here, we're just sharing a tainted message beyond these walls. We also need to remember, and that was the problem with the Roman church at that point. The Jews and the Gentiles weren't loving each other. They're showing a tainted message. We need to remember that love is sacrificial action. Maybe you need to sacrifice something in order to love someone and mend a relationship with them so that you can go and be a good reflection of Christ. God has a plan for our differences. Uh, let me just tell you, if there is no difference between um, Jew and Gentile, then there is no difference between the races and the cultures in America today except in who they choose to worship. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying these Gentiles are here, they're in your, your Jewish Christian church and you both have the good news of Christ. And you're both supposed to be proclaiming it to the nations, but you're too busy being caught up in the, the racial and culturally issues and you're, you're too busy being divided to have the unity that you need to proclaim the good news. He says to them, how can the people around you hear this message if you're too busy being ugly to one another? When you're busy being ugly, you're not able to show the world how beautiful our God is. And if you're so busy treating each other inside the walls with ugliness, then the people beyond the walls aren't going to hear you. That's what Paul's saying, essentially, to the Roman church at that time. How can they hear if you don't tell them? Put away your differences, your physical differences, your personal preferences, and do what Christ asked of you. Proclaim the gospel with your brothers, Gentile and Jew. Same thing for us. 
We're not all always going to get along, but we need to make sure that we can love through our differences so that we can go out and proclaim the gospel. That's action that's required of us. Mick is going to share with us some of the cultural stigmas that take place in Mexico and how Ninos de Mexico has overcome those stigmas for Christ. There are different stigmas in Mexico City that we deal with. Um, one of them is just the, the, the fact that we're dealing with orphans, and they are, they are looked down on, and, and they are truly downtrodden in a lot of ways. Another st- stigma, though, that a big difference that we see is, is uh, our religion being Christians versus the Catholicism in Mexico. Catholicism is very adaptive to the culture that it's in, and so Catholicism in Mexico City is very different from the Catholicism here in the States. It's got a, a big dose of spiritualism mixed in with it, and that becomes that I'd have to go into a history lesson to tell you all about that, but, but the Aztecs were into spiritualism, and so when, well, I'm giving you the lesson, aren't I? Cortez came in, and he conquered the Aztecs, and he made them tear down their pyramids in Mexico City, and they used them as slave labor to build the buildings that are there now. In, in, in that process, they were amazed at how quickly the uh, Aztecs started praying to the, to the saints, to the statues of the saints. They were worshiping them. They were praying to them until one day one of those fell over. It was hollow, and inside was an Aztec god. The Aztecs had hidden their gods inside. To this day, it's my understanding that worldwide, Catholic churches have no hollow statues. They're all solid, so that that can't happen again. But the spiritualism is still there. It's still very, very mixed in with with the that culture. There's a... There's a treasure in the Mexico City Cathedral. Uh, it, it, when you go in, everything is gold-plated. It's amazing. Everything that looks like gold, it is. It's at least gold-plated, if not solid gold. And down in the catacombs, there's a treasure. I've never seen it. My wife snuck down there one day. She was privileged. But um, anyway, it, apparently it is jewels and gold and silver and all all this treasure. They say that... If they ever spent it on the people, and it belongs to the people, by the way, right? Um, they could feed everyone in Mexico for 50 years. That's a pretty good treasure. Once a year, about this time of year, pretty soon here, they bring it up on, on like this hydraulic system, and they let the people come in through the cathedral, and they can see it because it belongs to them. So they get to view it, right? The only time an exception like that ever happened, or an exception to that rule ever happened, is one day an American president was there with his family taking a tour, and the little girl there asked, could they see it? And so they checked with the cardinal or whoever was the top guy there at the time, and he he gave them permission to bring that treasure up, and they got to see that. That family was the Kennedys, and they're very revered there, and that's because the Kennedys are the only... Catholic president we've ever had. That little girl, anybody want to guess who that was? Caroline Kennedy. She got to see the treasure, the treasure of Mexico. We, uh, with Niños de Mexico, we try to overcome these stigmas with what we do and with what we teach. When short-term trips are down there, I take them into the cathedral and we talk about these things and we teach. But we also teach our kids 
about these different things. I want to read to you, I hope this blends in. My favorite, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Through us, the things he gives us to do here on earth, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. The knowledge of Jesus, as we spread it, it creates a fragrance. That fragrance, who's smelling that? God is. And so he gives us each things to do to work through these different stigmas to teach and spread the knowledge of Jesus. I mentioned that Paul shared the shared with the Roman church that they needed to love one another in order to present themselves as a, as beautiful to the world. I want to share with you also something from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 starting with verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or chain, clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You see, that is the gospel of Christ. That is the good news. That love. And I want to do something. I want to read some of those verses back to you again. But I'm going to replace the word love with Jesus. Now, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to change Scripture. It's just something, when I was writing this out, I thought, ooh, this is kind of neat. It, it's something that I think I need reminded of from time to time. That this is what Jesus is. So that I can be what I'm supposed to be for His glory. Listen to this, starting with verse 4. Again, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not... Envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Jesus never fails. These things are true about him. And they should be true about us as well. We're to be that reflection of him. Remember the family motto. Don't forget the family motto. They should be true about us. I've learned a few things going on short-term mission trips myself. One of them is you don't have to know the language well in order to share the love of Jesus. One of our excuses is that, well, I don't speak the language very well. Or I don't understand it at all. Let me tell you something about language. Sidewalk chalk and a smile and some Hot Wheels cars speaks volumes when you don't know the language. When we were in Haiti out in Boshan years ago, Dylan was seven years old. He's 12 now. 
you can do the math on that. But I remember one particular day he got out chalk, sidewalk chalk and Hot Wheels cars and started sharing them with the other kids. The coolest thing about that was the, the Haitian kids started breaking the chalk up and, and they were breaking it up and then passing it around to each other so that everybody had a piece. It wasn't, this is my big stick of chalk. It was, they just kept breaking it up so everybody had a piece of chalk and they were sharing with one another and passing it around. They took turns sharing the Hot Wheel cars until one of them dropped it down the exhaust of the generator and then I got in trouble by my father-in-law and had to dig that out for an hour and a half. Uh, and then they had to explain through a tr- an interpreter that you can't put the Hot Wheel cars in the generator. That's a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> Language was a little bit of a barrier there. They were just driving it around and whoop, there it went. But they, they did that. And, and here's the thing. Dylan didn't speak Creole or any form of French, but he knew Jesus and he knew he had some things. He had chalk and he had Hot Wheels cars and he had a smile. And those kids played and shared and laughed. And we didn't even know what they were laughing about because they were all just saying stuff and laughing and giggling with chalk and Hot Wheel cars. You know, as a family, we could have gone to Disney World that year with the money spent to go on that trip. We could have gone to a lot of places and done many things for ourselves with that money. But Dylan still talks about going back to Haiti one day. And he remembers that day that he had what we now call the chalk ministry in our house. You know, I believe as a family, we made a wise investment that year. And I look forward to many more family mission trips. Is it worth it? Should you go? Most definitely. Mick is going to share a few stories about how a smile has broken through the language barriers at Ninos de Mexico. Actually, John, the first story I'm going to share on this part is, is my intro to short-term trips. I took a trip back in 2000 to Peru. A buddy of mine, a few of them were going to uh, help build a church there out in the middle of nowhere, and so they talked me into going for two weeks. For two weeks... I'm unskilled. Did I mention that? I'm unskilled. For two weeks, I dug dirt uh, for out in this field. It was it was a place where they had thrown the husks of rice for for a hundred years, and so the ground was very unstable. It wasn't good dirt, and that was the spot that got donated for the building. So we had to dig that dirt out and take it out and replace it with other dirt, good dirt. And so I dug dirt for two weeks. It was great, Um, but. I didn't speak any Spanish back then, but I got to know a couple of guys just by working side by side with them for two weeks. They cried when I left. I guess I did too. Um, I remember one night praying to God just just before we left. I was like, God, this missions is great. It's too bad you didn't... Listen, this was me talking to God, okay? It's too bad, God, that you didn't show me missions before I got married and had two little girls. They were two and five years old at the time. What a foolish thing to say. Don't ever pray to God like that. Amen. By that next August, we were living in Mexico City. It was amazing what he did in our lives But from then until we moved down to be with Ninos to Mexico. He just, he just took us and shook us up. A um, couple other examples about uh, folks that have come down and... and changes that have happened in their lives. Typically, when you think of someone coming to Ninos de Mexico on a short-term trip, you might think that it's someone with love and joy in their heart, someone that earned some money to, to have that privilege and to, 
really be really into missions and God and just, right? Am I painting the picture? Not so. Um, when a, when a, oftentimes when a uh, Christian college sends us a group of students, they are freshmen. And a freshman in a Christian college has a pretty good chance of being forced to be there by their parents. This is something I didn't used to know, but I know very well now. Um, there was a young lady on this trip that was just awful. She was awful. She had a bad attitude. She cussed. I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to do with her, so I let my wife deal with her. I said, you, <laughs> you deal with that one. Her name was Shana. I don't even remember her last name now. But um, we, we, just unbelievable. We went over to, to visit the Agape home one afternoon. And uh, they had this big German shepherd named Alex. And uh, Alex was just a beautiful dog. I really liked him. But he was rough. He was, he was tough. I mean, we, we warned people when we go there, okay, this is their guard dog. Respect who he is. Don't just be putting your hand in his mouth. You know, don't be pulling on his tail or anything like that. You might pet him if he sniffs you, but be beware. Well, she threw her she threw her fancy leather coat on the ground a few minutes after we got there, and Alex did what came natural to him. He marked that coat. <laughs> I think you all know what I mean. You know what? It broke her. I don't know what was going on in her life. But for some reason, that action, that dog peeing on her coat, it broke her. And she cried and cried and cried. My wife took her in her arms. They were bawling for an hour over this coat. But there was so much more beyond that. I think God sent that young lady there that week to break her, to have Alex do his business on that coat. Next time I saw her, we were at a church camp down in Tennessee. Hot gnats buzzing in my eyes. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> I'm full of terrible stories this morning, but that's the way I remember Tennessee in the summer. Um, well, we remember Tennessee. <laughs> Here come this group in from Lincoln Christian College to help work that week. Shana was the group leader. She was a completely different person. We couldn't believe it. We, we got to spend some time just talking to her. And she remembered that incident as well. And God took her and changed her life that week. I see so many people come in to Ninos de Mexico for our short-term trips. It's Saturday through Saturday. Saturday, I pick you up at the airport. And I, everybody's got certain expectations of what, of what this week is going to be like. And, and usually, bless your hearts, it's we're going to give, give, give. We're going to work hard. We're going to bless this ministry. And that's great. But usually in the middle of the week, I see, I see a change. I see people start to get it as they're finishing out their week. They really start to get it. And they know that they've been blessed more than they've come to bless. So is it worth it? You bet it's worth it. And, and I mentioned earlier, I love, if, if for no other reason, for the young people coming down to get their eyes open to the world of missions so that they can understand how blessed they are to just, to just live here in the United States, you know, just to start getting an, an understanding and a, an appreciation of who they are and where they're at and what God can do with their lives.
Mick, I think you and I could just go back and forth like this all. This is, this is very natural. This is really good. They wouldn't believe we hadn't rehearsed any of this, you know? Um, you know, we've, we've asked you the question, is it worth it? Should I go? I've shared with you some of the things that I've learned through missions and stewardship. And Mick has also shared about lives touched and changed because of that ripple effect where people have touched someone's life, where they heard God call them and they, they answered it. Some by, you're going whether you want to or not. Uh, that's pretty awesome. I, I like, you know, the story of Balaam's donkey and now there's the story of the German shepherd. That's good. Um, you know, John Henry Jowett once said, Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And, and it's important to go, but it costs. It's also important to send. And so in true mashup form, I would like anyone who is a part of our missions ministry here at Huntsville Christian Church to stand for a moment. Don't make me start calling you out by name. Stand up. You know who you are. If you're on the missions committee, the missions ministry team, representing, calling people, doing your thing. These guys, ladies and gentlemen, are the behind-the-scenes people. They are, I call them our senders. They not only send us as we go on short-term mission trips and, and request extra help and, or extra items or something like that. There's, there's a few more. Not all of them are here uh, right now. But, but these, these, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. They're, they're our senders. Um, some of them are goers as well. They are goers as well, but they're, they're senders. They, they, they keep communication with our missions, with our people that we support, uh, people like Mick. Peter Levy is one of those people. I know he contacted Mick and, and reached out to him, and Peter is visiting his family in New York this weekend. Um, but our, our missions ministry is something that happens. We, we get to take it for granted. We, we do a communion meditation, then we have our offering time, and we put our money in, and then it goes through the process, and then the, we say, hey, you've got this much money, and they get to figure out how that's all going to work, and they sometimes make hard decisions, and sometimes they get to make fun decisions, but the fact is, they're the people who help send, and that's an important factor in going, is being able to send. As we come to our response time this morning, I want to bring your attention to a couple of other people who are goers, if you will. They know that going and serving comes with a cost, a cost of your time, a cost of your money, uh, a cost of time spent away from your family, and and they've, they've answered the call to go on many occasions, knowing full well what that cost is. And I want to be real clear. I'm not just drawing attention to a couple people because they're better than the rest of us or because they're going to get a better seat in heaven. I want to share with you about these two people in particular because I realize that, uh, and again, we, uh, several of us have been on trips, but this information, I think, is information that should be shared and celebrated because it it impacts that whole ripple effect thing that we've been talking about in, in Should I Go? And, and I asked these two ladies to share with me just their miles traveled on mission trips and where they've been. And here's what we ended up with. The first person I want to talk about has traveled to places like Ecuador and Honduras and Haiti. Actually, five trips to Haiti and four different areas of Haiti. She's traveled to some of the most remote places in the world following hurricanes and tornadoes to do cleanup, to bring a cup of water and comfort to those who are left in the aftermath of these storms. Some of these places that she's traveled to for storm relief are so remote, you may have never even heard of them. Places like Kentucky and, <laughs> and New York and Oklahoma, Harvest, Alabama, even to the far edges of Clements, Alabama. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> Seriously, though, Tanya Williams 
has traveled over 28,000 miles in 11 years. Um, then those, you know, just to share a little bit of Jesus with somebody. Then the next person that I want to talk about started going on short-term mission trips beginning in 1997. She's been on nine trips to just the Czech Republic, two trips to Cambodia, one trip to Spain. She's been to Germany, two trips to Holland, two trips to Haiti, one trip to Africa, and one to Gulfport, Mississippi for hurricane relief. I asked these ladies to share with me all these places that they've traveled in miles, but you have to keep in mind the numbers are skewed. It's not accurate because this is just their air, the, the air miles, just where they've flown. This young lady that I'm talking about right now has traveled to places just to pray. She's traveled to places to touch and engage others for Christ. She's traveled to hold the hand of a child and smile as she walked a 14-mile round trip through the community to see the community waterfall because that's what everybody was excited about when we got to that community. She's traveled to make bricks and count them and carry them and stack them and carry them and stack them again all in one place. She's traveled to be with expectant mothers while they delivered babies and then give them a pair of booties that her friend has knitted for them. It's rumored that there are even some baby girls in Zimbabwe named after her. She's known by several names depending on where she's traveled to. She's known as Ma, Grand Moon, Nani, but you all know her as Janet Hebert. She's not here at the moment because Abe was taken to the hospital, to the emergency room this morning, and we're going to be checking up on him after services. But... Janet has traveled a total of 208,464 airline miles. She couldn't even begin to add up the miles traveled by car or bus or tap-tap or walking. But I know this, if you ask her, was it worth it? Was it worth the blisters on her feet? Was it worth the, the calluses on her hands? If you ask her, was it worth it for losing her shoe in the mud? <laughs> or the countless personal items that she left behind, she would tell you that it most definitely was worth it. And she would tell you that everyone should go somewhere at least once. I'd, I would like for Tanya to come up at this time. And I was going to bring Janet too, but as I said, she's at the hospital. And so, Tammy, I want you to come up to pretend like you're Janet, only <laughs> older than Janet. Um, come on, we only got like 30 minutes. Let's go, ladies. Come on. Um, they all the way. One, come on, it's it's okay. You can stand here. You can actually here. Stand over here. There we go. We'll do this. I'm like a rose between two thorns. Oh, um, sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, long before the invention of the GPS, <laughs> you should listen to this, Mick. Long before GPS, people used maps <laughs> and atlases, and they used them to chart and map their course. You see, an atlas provided directions, much like God's Word provides direction for us. And, and however many times we like to pick and, and we like to choose where we think God is going to send us sometimes, and we like to choose the parts to follow, but as we finish up this focus on missions and being beyond the wall and should we go, I want to take a moment because I have a gift for both Janet and <laughs> Tanya, and uh, I'm going to open yours, okay? Uh, don't look. I was kidding. You can hold the package. Um, and it's actually, it's a, it's a small necklace, but it also has a keychain. The verse on the keychain is Matthew 18, verse 19 through 20. And this, this particular charm is called the Atlas Charm, not because it's got a map of the world on it, but it, the charm series is called the Atlas because it's one of those things that 
Um, <clears throat> oh, I lost my place. I'm trying not to cry. Stop it. Uh, so it's called the Atlas because it marks a course in your family history. And that's the whole concept behind this wearable art. And I want to present this piece to, ten, to I'm confusing your names now, to Janet and Tanya, the Atlas necklace, because their course has been set by Jesus' command to go. And so that one is for you. And it can be worn as a necklace. Like I said, there's a keychain that goes with it. Um, but I want to say thank you. And that one's for you, Janet. Um, and Yeah. I was going to give one to myself, but I didn't think that was right because I'm just kidding. No, but we've all been on trips. We've all done these things, but they've logged a lot of miles to leave a small impact. And I think that's something scripture tells us we should celebrate things with one another. And I think that's part of this whole month is, is I wanted to celebrate and share with you the missions we support and the things that we do, the things that some of you do and don't even know it by faithfully giving your tithes and your offerings every week. And by, by making a phone call to Andy or I and saying, hey, do we have a, a college kid or a young person going on a trip that we could, we could help out? You know, there's goers and there's senders. I, I, like I said a few weeks ago, if you can get in your car and drive to church, you can get in your car and drive to the rescue mission and, and serve. You don't have to go 208,440 miles to serve for the Lord. But it sure is amazing that on Janet's last mission trip, she was 80. And we went all over Africa. It was crazy. Um, and Tammy being 75. Or Tanya being 75. I know, Tammy's over there. Tanya's over here. Traveling all the places that she has been. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. You guys can go sit down. Um, I don't know where some of you are today or where you've been in your life or where God is asking you to go for him, but I know this obedience to God starts with the simplest act. You saying, okay. Maybe for you, that's, that's baptism. The baptistry is ready and, and we're, we can make that happen. Maybe you're just not sure where God is calling you or what he's calling you to do. And if you'd like prayer or, or conversation with, with the elders or, or something about the direction in your life, our elders are here. They'd love to pray with you and, and share with you um, and, and maybe give you direction in that regard. Maybe you'd like to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church to be a part of our family as we continue to reach out to our community, to our neighbors, and to our world. Whatever your response is, it is time for us to go beyond these walls and do something bigger than ourselves for our God. Will you stand and, and sing our response song with us? And whatever your response is, respond accordingly. It's been great to be here with you all today to, to share with Mick. Um, by the way, he's hungry. So if anybody wants to take him out, he loves Mexican food. <laughs> right. Did I miss here? Oh, no, you said you... Only the authentic Mexican food. Taco Bell... It, right? No. It, what? All right. Um, go see Mick before you leave and, and check in with him. He's got some good information there. Uh, it has been great to be here with you all to, to share, to worship. But now it's time to go. As you go this week, no matter where you go, near or far, remember these things. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. 
Don't go from here thinking you're supposed to share it with people. Go from here knowing that good news is supposed to be proclaimed. It's, it's not just about, you know, I can give you half a cookie, but I'm going to proclaim to you who Jesus Christ is in my life. That's how we should go. We're supposed to proclaim the good news. So go this week proclaiming the good news. Share with somebody what Jesus has done in your life. Will you sing this last song with us?